Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Father, this is your time and we surrender completely to you. Uh, Branches is your community and... uh, You are the boss. And so we admit that and confess that in the name of Jesus. Um, If this goes in and out, um, it hasn't been going in and out, so we're like, well, let's keep it going. Talking about this little um, Backstreet Boys thing I got going on the side of my face. So if it goes in and out, um, BT, it's your job to let me know because I won't be able to hear, and then you need to grab that mic because I'll just keep talking and no one will hear me. Um, Yeah, they're going to pass out the Bibles. Um, we're going through a series called The Bible for Dummies, and so we got to a, uh, a section in 1 Timothy that talks about, uh, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And um, as I was studying that and going through that, I was with one of my friends who actually is our financial planner, and I was with him talking, we were with some friends, and I was just listening to him. And uh, we've known each other for a few years now. And a godly man, a brilliant financial planner, brilliant person. As he was talking, I thought, man, people need to hear this. And so I said, so, you know, you, you've been traveling around probably at churches doing this. He's like, no. I was like, what? And then um, I asked, I said, well, you've been at your church for like 15 years. You were a pastor there as well. So he did financial planning. And then because he's that type of a person, he volunteered at his church, which is basically an unpaid staff position doing worship and other things. I'm like, so you taught at your church? He goes, no. I was like, oh, well, it's on now. And I said, so would you be willing to come and be with us? And he's like, sure. And I go, well, I'm I'm warning you right now because the gate is open and I'm going to tell everybody I know and they're going to ask you to come and speak. And he's like, whatever. Um, So I want to bring up my friend Ryan Maroney. If you guys could uh, welcome him up. Ryan was asking me how he should dress. Um, so I wear, I went, it's branches. I wore flannel last week. So to even dumb it down even more, I decided to wear the jacket, almost put on the beanie. But he still... I didn't go full Jansen this morning. You didn't. No, but you, you still look nice. Thanks. But nicer than we usually look. Um, I'd give you the background of that, but you'll get that another day. There's a reason for this. I look better during the week than I do on Sunday mornings. There's a reason for that. Um, so we also, up here, uh, we have a number. So if you could, um, it's 2017. So at church, we bring our phones, um, and I want you to, if you haven't, I only saw like 10 Bibles go out, so I'm guessing that means you have your Bibles on your phone, right? So uh, open up your Bible, but also you can text in questions here. Now here's the text, the questions we don't want. Ryan, should I buy gold? (laughs) Or, um, so what's Trump going to do with our taxes? Where do you think the stock market, those are, that's not what this is about. Um, And as we talked about with the Word of God and looking in there, and with most things, we can look for what we want to see. And so some of you go, oh, we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about money. I know where this is going. I can tell you, you have no idea where we're headed, but I'm excited for it. We're going to talk about this week and next week. And um, the reason that we're doing that should be obvious if you read the Word. The Word of God says this, 15% of the words that come from Jesus have to do with money or possessions. Let that sink in for a second. 
When Jesus opened his mouth and it was recorded, 15% of it was on money and possessions. He talked more about that than about heaven or hell. So obviously he had something to say. So what I did is I chose some verses and went through it with Ryan. And I said, Ryan, what I want us to do is I'm going to bring these verses out. And since you have, you know, these years of experience working with um, your clients, show us how this has played itself out. Show us how you've seen this reality play itself out. So here's our our first verse. So um, you have your Bibles, and I'd love for you to be there. This is Malachi, which is the Old Testament. And up at the top, those are Ryan's headlines. So I gave him this verse, and he would give these. VT, it's going. Be bold, man. Be bold. Go up there and grab it. Don't ever be afraid. People can't hear. So. Um, since my mic's going in and out, we give Ryan the opportunity to just talk without me. So, Wow, what a tee-up. Um, <laughs> thanks, Buck. It's been um, a strange intersection for me, and I think fairly unique one, not because of any deservedness on my part, but I found myself for the last 15 years at the intersection of worship and money. And uh, that's been, I think, unique, given that it's a really left-brain, right-brain activity. And... Um, but I think it, it provides an insight. I've been able to get more than just a fly-on-the-wall experience, but actually I've been able to be really participatory in hundreds of families' expression of worship with money. And part of my job is to help people connect their values with their dollars. And, um, and so I think that was partly what drew Boog to this discussion was to say, hey, I know that it's fairly rare. What, what did you call me on the phone? The white unicorn? Because there are not many folks, I think, that have had occupational ministry as a pastor in worship while simultaneously spending their day job determining how people accumulate, use, and, and then ultimately steward their finances. So we wanted to start, I think, high-level 10,000-foot view and bring it down as to the nitty-gritties. But what we're not going to do today, if some of your eyes glaze over, because I experience this in my office all the time, because finances is a a boring topic, typically, and typically something that, that doesn't get a lot of excitement and something that's difficult for folks. What's the expression, you never talk about religion and money? Well, we're kind of hitting both this morning. So we want to ease that tension to say this isn't Dave Ramsey-esque, if you know who that is. This isn't a process of how to manage your finances. I think it's a bigger discussion that will unearth maybe what is the heart of how we should think of money in general, as opposed to um, what you may be concerned is maybe feeling guilty of why you don't give or why you don't give as much or why you don't give to the homeless guy in the corner. I think that's a discussion for next week, but for this week, it's going to be more in line with how do we view what Christ was trying to teach us through the entire redemptive story of money and how does that apply to us today? So that was your, your highlight. Yeah. Um, money is an expression of our worship. And then that's the verse, Malachi 3.10. Um, so can you unpack that? What do you mean by money is an expression of our worship? Especially it has to do with Malachi 3.10. Yeah. So I think there is two ways that money expresses our worship. I think the most common way that we understand worshiping their finances is the offering, right? So Dave prayed for the offering. And I think, unfortunately, most churches... Um, they err on the side of organizationally doing offering as a mechanism to make sure the community, you at large, is aware of the church's needs and is using that for missionary work and for keeping the lights on and keeping the staff paid. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
But first we set up the, the aspect of worship that your finances were an element of the corporate worship. And in the Old Testament, the tithe was part of corporate worship. It wasn't a personal worship aspect. It was corporate. And we do that here with the offering. That's an, an expression of our worship. It isn't something that's an addendum to the service. It isn't an add-on. It is part of it. And sometimes it feels like an add-on. Sometimes it feels like something that we simply have to do because it's business. A lot of times we even throw it in with what we would call family business or things that the church does as business. But it's not meant to be business. It's not meant to be something that is simply organizational and fundraising. So the offering is not fundraising. It is an expression of worship. Even if this church took your worship dollars and the very next moment turned around and gave it to some other church, it would be worship, and it would be useful for this church. It's not simply a means to pay the bills. And that's how the Old Testament tithe was originally set up as a means of corporate worship expression. And that changes throughout the covenants. So when we go into the New Testament, and we'll get there, it does change. But primarily, as we see here, in Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, there may be food in my house, test me in this. So it's part of the command of saying, tithing is part of worship, yet, trust me, the Lord is saying, that when you do, it is, there is a connection between blessedness and between your giving. And that can be taken too far. So I, some of the folks who've been in my office before know that I, I, I talk a lot to couples when I say, look, where, where do you fit in this grand spectrum of how you handle your money? If you read through the scriptures and you read through the Old Testament or you read a verse like this, and then you're thinking of other verses about how the Lord has and how Jesus has talked to people about giving your money away, whether it be the rich young ruler that he tells to give away all of your money or whether it be some who you've asked to sell most of your money or some people who've sold just a little of their money or the widow who's come and given her small little mite. And there's all these stories of money and of giving. And a lot of it seems like it leans you towards total divestiture, give away everything. If you have two coats, give away two coats and not necessarily just one, but have nothing for yourself because it's better to give than receive. And so it's a slippery slope. So way over here, you start sliding. You go, I guess God wants me to have nothing. And then that would be wrong. So the flip side is you start leaning towards passages maybe like this, that's that saying the Lord wants you to be blessed. You might, you remember when there was that theme of the prayer of Jabez that was big for a while, right? Everyone was talking about how they wanted their, their land and their, the, all this stuff accumulation. It, it kind of birthed a form of health, wealth, gospel, where he felt as if you read through the passages of Scripture and go, God wants me to be blessed. There's an equation between when I give, I get in some way. He's asking me to test him in this, that my, my house is going to be full of food and I'm going to be stocked, so the Lord wants me to be wealthy. And so the health wealth gospel becomes big, that you come to church and there's a pastor that says, there is blessedness that's yet to be poured out, and the reason it's not is because of you. And God's waiting to bless you with something, and if you would just get on board, you would be blessed. If you would just simply start testing the Lord in this, then you would be blessed. And, and looking at that in exclusivity leans you down this slippery slope towards health, wealth, gospel, and both are wrong. And the question is, is there's a big, huge middle ground between the two, right? A vast middle ground. And we have to, each one of us, ask ourselves, where are we on that? Where, where are we on that continuum? And I I like what Ryan was saying about this idea of, well, if I give, then this is what's going to come back. And we talked about this before. We talked about the confirmation bias. So 
when we see this scripture, we see, and if I will not throw, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And so in our mind, we're like, okay, so if I give, then God's going to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. And when you in your mind, most of us, we've heard that taught or we think we know what that means. It was pour out the flood. So that means dollar bills are going to fly out of heaven and land into my pocket. Like how many of us really looked at that and went, well, that must mean what it, that's not what it says though, is it? But we can interpret, we can see what we want to see that says that what will be thrown open is the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. But as, as Ryan has experienced, and, and you'll be able to tell by his nod, or he's like, no, boogie, you're off, and he'll correct me. But he's seen people that have had the floodgates of dollars flow in all of a sudden. And those are some of the most miserable, unhappy people. And so you may think that's what you want, but that may be the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. And so there's this idea of to give is better than to receive, but it's not in the way you necessarily think. So let's go to the, the, the next Ryanism. Uh, money, and this is, this is probably my favorite of, of the uh, four that we're going to look at. Money always expresses your desires. So when we're talking about money, um, we're going to talk, it, it's neutral, right? It's not bad. It's not good. It's just neutral. So when we talk money is the root of all kinds of evil, it means it can point to things. It can, it can draw things out. But for this Luke passage, um, this is what Jesus says. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Now, again, when we look at all of these passages, whether you've heard them before or not, come at them as best as you can with fresh eyes, looking new. Um, because when I sat with Ryan and we were looking at this passage and he said that, I thought, I never thought of it that way. Um, so why don't you kind of unpack what you meant by that? Yeah, so when we think of what we do with our money, sometimes we think of our money as um, worship only to the extent that we use it in giving. So we had baskets passed this morning, and um, some of you give that way through giving dollars there or checks. Some of you give online. Some of you do some other Venmo or something. I don't know how high tech the church is. But the challenge there is it, it, immediately, it immediately compartmentalizes dollars and worship in that one single act. And when we, and this is a bigger discussion on worship, but when we think of worship, we're thinking of worship in terms of not corporate worship like it was in the Old Testament, where God was very localized. So in the, as the Israelites, as they moved throughout the nation, as they moved throughout the desert, and they were bringing essentially the temple with them, and they were, and they were erecting a place where God would live and be in their local presence, that worship existed very geographically specific to where they were congregating. And that was the design of how God instituted worship to be. 
And then the New Testament and the New Covenant radicalizes worship and frees it to be in all of life. So in 2 Corinthians, when Paul's talking about, on all that you do, whether you eat or drink, do for the glory of God, that life becomes an expression of worship. And your worship is not localized here in this building, nor is it in a temple, nor is it somewhere. Corporate worship exists here, but your life is an expression of worship. And Jesus has interactions with folks that are starting to turn all that on their head. He speaks to a woman who was asking him a question about where they should worship. My ancestors were over in the hills here. You've got the, there's also the temple, and it was a bit of a trick question. Where should we, where is God, where should we worship? And he doesn't answer, I think, in the way that anyone would expect. He says, neither here or in the temple, but I see your father seeks worship in spirit and in truth. And it was his, in some ways, cryptic way to say, you are released to be the church. You are released to have your life be an expression of worship. You are released in Christ now and is indwelling in you to be the church. And so money is an expression of worship that we started with. It started with a tithe corporately. Now it's in all that you do. So in every way that you save, spend, and lose your money, it is always expressing your desires and it is an aspect of worship. Because if all of life is to be worship, then your money doesn't get excluded from that. It doesn't get to be carved out over here and say only, well, I do worship with my money when I give. They say, no. What God's talking about, what Christ's talking about, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, um, it is saying that your dollars are always expressing your desires. Now, there's nothing wrong with a desire for a good cup of coffee or spending um, money on gifts for each other. I don't want to demonize money to be used for yourself, but it is still expressing your desire, right? It is still doing exactly what it is that you want it to do. And there's no way for it to be divorced from that. One of the, someone texted in a really good point. They said, um, to explain what corporate worship is, because we're going to, the next, um, the next Ryanism that's coming up will we'll actually highlight corporate worship and individual worship. So corporate worship is what we're doing right here. We do things together. Um, and that's a healthy part of... We, we talk about that fairly often, but probably not as much as we should. Corporate worship is a biblical pattern. It's, it's one that Jesus lived out where we worship together. And it is something that is so important to our individual lives. I was with a friend who was asking me this week, like, hey, you know what? Let's do some individual coaching. I need to have some goals. And one of my goals needs to be I need to come on Sunday mornings. And a lot of times we think, oh, I need to get my life together. I need to go to church. And corporate worship is, is a pattern, a habit of being together with others to worship God. So that's what corporate worship is. And sometimes we, we, don't, we don't value that enough because we're like, well, do I feel like going there on a Sunday? Do I feel like going to church today? And that misses the focus, much like when Ryan was saying, you know, we can take things and forget what they're there for, like with the offering basket. Like, honestly, I'm pretty guilty of that. Like, the staff and the ushers are always on my case going, you forgot to mention the offering. We got to get that in there. And... And I think, well, it doesn't matter, but I'm thinking of it for the church finances. I'm like, ah, what's the big deal? But yet it's this element of worship that is so important, and I have devalued that 
Because if money is an expression of our worship and our desires, then we need to give people that opportunity. And corporate worship is a time where we gather that needs to be a habit. It needs to be something that we value because it's how God's designed us. He's designed us to be together. Um, so I want to make sure that we highlight that because that was a very good point that was brought up about um, corporate worship. And when, when I was sitting with Ryan and he was, we were going through these passages, and I looked at this and it said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And Ryan brought up something very interesting that he might bring up next week, but he said, in, notice it says sell your possessions. Like, and he said, whenever you look in the word and it talks about people being in need, it doesn't mean that you just have to give money to it. Sometimes you have to sell things. And he's talking about a sacrifice. And can you break that down a little bit? Yeah, as I study this and as I see it in real life, um, the scriptures are really clear. And next week we'll talk a lot about the aspect biblically of deaccumulation and simplicity versus accumulation and complexity. I think of a lot of our lives are riddled with accumulation and complexity disorder. And I speak totally as I'm, as I'm preaching to myself, the choir, that I, Nancy and I struggle with this, and we've been talking about it. It's my wife. We've been talking about it a lot lately. But the aspect of selling possessions was one where we'll go through next week all these stories of people that are faith journeys and coming to faith and expressions of faith where their natural reaction was to sell something. Um, even... Even passages that Paul references, the Macedonians, and giving to the folks in a nearby area that were struck with a bad famine, and this was a really poor area, and he's commending them for selling stuff that they have to give to others. And there's this tradition, it seems like, in the New Testament, that, that the Bible isn't talking about people groups that are rich in cash or even rich in possessions and are cash poor. It's like, I, I have all this stuff, but I just don't have a lot of dollars to give away. It's these stories of people saying, I am deaccumulating for the purpose of expressing worship. I'm selling something for the purpose of giving away, not because um, it's the only means of which I have, like I, I don't have cash to give only. It's, I think, a way of, of expressing the simplicity of um, wealth throughout the scriptures, and even in this, in the original language, is the same word as mammon in the Old Testament. And if you remember, how did God treat the, 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 the mammon that came down each day? What was the instruction that he gave them? Was that don't store it up, right? Because it's going to rot and it's going gonna, it's gonna to fail you. And I'm going to give you everything you need for that day. So what they had was mammon for the day. And there's more than enough. But if they, if they were going to hoard that, then it goes bad like that. And it's the same kind of message in the New Testament about selling possessions. And so that's going to be part of next week talking about in what way does the deaccumulation in your life honor God? Does it glorify him? And when I see this passage, it says, it started with do not be afraid. Don't we know what that's about when we talk about money? Like the fear? I was talking with a friend this morning. He's like, yeah, there's this fear. Like, am I going to have enough for my family? Or am I, what, what if, what if? And so Jesus addresses that. And, I mean, look at the beautifulness of the word. Do not be afraid, little flock. You know, it's like you have a little, oh, poor little. Like, he's, it's, that, it's that, that care, the Lord understanding. Look, I get it. You're afraid, but you don't have to be because your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, give you something that is, he, he's, the father is going to take care of us. 
So sell your possessions and give to the poor. And when, when Ryan said money always expresses your desires, we can think about Kim sharing about Steve and Lori and all the people that showed up to Blaze Pizza. Um, two hours. If you have to go somewhere and wait 20 minutes, you're like, oh my gosh, the service here is horrible. I'm so yelping this. But yet everyone came and said, I don't care. Why? Because their desire was, I want to do whatever I can to care for this family. And then, of course, it was natural. People got there and they're like, wait, okay, I'm sitting here. I don't really care about the pizza. I just want to give money. And so someone created a box. And if you saw it, it was pretty ghetto looking. But it was this idea of like, I just, there's a desire in my heart. I want to. And so their money and their time expressed their desires, and they wanted to care. And as we've talked about in the weeks before, it's, it, it's by grace you are saved and not by what you do. So it's like, oh, I better do this stuff with my money because I'm supposed to. As you draw near to the Lord and you know his love for you and you can see him when he says, do not be afraid, little one, or do not be afraid, little flock. When you know his care and concern, you don't feel like you have to do it. You just trust you trust that he knows what's best for you. And you, out of worship for him, you're like, okay, I'm going to trust you on this one because I am afraid. But I want, I want to be set free. I want to do what you've designed me to do. And money gives us an idea of our health, our unhealth. It's not a matter of you, you should do this or you better do that. It's a matter of it, it reveals what's going on inside of our hearts. So let's go to the next verse that goes with this. And this was the key verse that got it all started. Because this was the verse, we were just going to focus on this verse for this Sunday. Um, and then I messed it all up and added the other ones, the other four. First um, Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. Again, it expresses what's going on. Sometimes money can have us wander from what's important. And because we wander, and because money can sometimes do that to us... It can pierce us. I don't think anyone's really excited about getting pierced. My kid's biggest fear, am I going to get a shot? Like, that's just built into our DNA. There's only a couple weirdos like my wife. Like, oh, I love getting shots. Anyone else here love getting shots? Come on, is there one of you? All right, so it's just my wife. Good to know. Um, but nobody wants that. And so, as we've talked about, it doesn't say that money is the root of evil. It's a, it's a root of all kinds of evil. It's the other things that are evil, but money can trigger that. Money can do beautiful things. It's, it's like we've said, it's neutral, but it, it reveals. And if you hear anything from this morning, know that money reveals. So let's go to our next slide, our next Ryanism. I made that up, by the way. You can use that when you're speaking across the country. Probably won't. So here's the next uh, <laughs> Ryanism. So some of you are thinking, oh, this is what we're going to focus on. We're not going to spend, as, you, as we're winding down here, we're going to focus on just a little bit on this, the practicality of money from a biblical viewpoint. And there's two passages that we've chosen for that. Um, this is Paul speaking uh, in Acts. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, so usually people say this at Christmas. Hey, it's better to give than receive, but we usually say that to a kid that didn't get what they wanted. And so we try to tell them, hey, look, you should be giving. Don't worry about what you get. But in a very practical way, 
Have you seen this with your clients or with your family? Because it's one thing to yeah. say this, but no one's going to believe it. And you're probably going to say it, and they're still not going to believe you, but give it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. This is one of those things that's, that I, um, I used to teach junior hires uh, like uh, 15 years ago. I got a junior hire in here. Um, <laughs> and uh, I used to tell them, <laughs> I used to have them take, we would take pictures, and we'd be looking at the pictures, and they'd look at a picture themselves. And a junior hire looking at a picture of themselves as a junior hire, they're like, they look pretty good, you know? Like, they feel good about themselves, and they're, you know, it's, it's a weird age, but they don't feel dorky and weird, but that's a dorky, weird phase in life. So I would tell Dude, there's them. There's a junior hire here. What are you I doing? I would, tell them, I would say, hey, I understand I'm going to tell you this, and you don't have the capacity to understand that you're going to look back right now at you and be like, I was such an idiot. And you don't have the ability because it's something that only time and maturity and wisdom shows you. And in some ways, I felt like that with my clients where I say, look, I know it's really hard to fathom looking back at you now. Um, and what you, what you might see is if you took a picture of yourself and your giving and what you are, and we fast forward 10 years, uh, right now you feel like, nah, I look pretty good. And then 10 years you'll look back and go, gosh, that was stupid. And there are some things we just don't have the capacity to see. And I've, I've walked vicariously with, through families through the last 15 years with looking, having, asking them the question. Some of you have been in my office and I say, talk to yourself the three years ago when we first sat down, what would you say to yourself from three years ago now that we're here? The consistent message I get consistently is, I wish I were giving more back then. I wish I were more giving. The regret, which I think is a healthy tension that starts to feel, the consistent message I get from, from folks who've walked farther along this road of giving says, I, I really wish that I would have been more generous in the times where I could have been. Even so much so that there's been folks in your church in this community that have done awesome, an awesome job of deaccumulating for the purpose of saying, I, it, I struggle giving in the way that I want. I'm going to reorient my life in order to make that a priority. Not because of a, the feeling of guilt or feeling like I have to, but because the posture of my heart has changed. And because this is what I desire now. And it's not a means to something. It's not a mechanism to simply receive. It is simply a posture of my heart. And there are people that do that. And I never get the folks that do that come back and go, I bet off more than I could chew. Um, we got to go back to the way that it was. It's never happened. I've never had it happen. And so like the junior hires where I say, trust me, you're going to talk to yourself now if you get years down the road. And some of the things that you'll think would be, I think being more generous is never something that leads to regret, ever. So you've never had anyone come in, because a, a lot of your clients don't even know you're a believer. They just come right. in and you're, because he doesn't, so <laughs> I remember when I first met with Ryan and, and uh, we were talking through things, I'm like, I better look good with what I'm doing with my money, because right. he knows the Lord and I know the Lord, so like, you know, I'm going to try to give this much, and he just goes, why are you, what, what? You can tell by his face, he's like, dude, don't try to impress me, I, I get it. I'm still working on my own financial. I'm trying right. to figure this out. Right. Um, but have you had, have you had anyone ever say, oh, I shouldn't have given that much last year. Really messed up my, my tax bracket. Never. No. It's never happened. And I get the luxury of gently prodding. I think sometimes, like, when we, we've seen a passage where we're referenced as the flock, you know, we're the sheep, sheep kind of notoriously not that smart. And sometimes 
Sometimes God and his, thy rod and thy staff, of the old King James folks that know in the Old Testament, it's God being like the great shepherd. And sometimes the sheep need a little prodding by the staff. And sometimes like they need like a full-blown whack where it's like a real smack on the, on the rear. Um, money can end up being that. And I think that I've seen in my experience that the way that God's gotten the attention of some of my clients, the whack that I've seen in reorienting the perspective of money has been the money itself. We know there is a connection between stewardship and um, what you receive. We know there's a connection in blessedness. When you give, you receive a certain point. I, I loathe the idea that so many pastors say that when you give, you've got to give in a way that is sacrificial and that if you get anything out of it, it's not really giving. It's got to be totally philanthropic. I give and I get nothing from it, and that's just because I, I want to give. The Bible doesn't talk of it that way. It talks about there being a connection to saying, you receive. You, we wouldn't be talking about receiving something, and, and you say, well, better to give than to receive. It's more blessed. Well, what does it mean by being blessed by that? What does that look like? Sometimes God uses finances to express his blessing. Sometimes when we talk about the storehouses, it is money. It is dollars. And there are families that have seen that. Boog has experienced that. There, in some ways, Steve may experience that, that there's... Finances act as a blessedness. But if we believe that everything we have and everything that we don't have is by God's providence, and if I don't have something, it's either because it's for my good or it's the refining he's bringing me through because I've been irresponsible with my finances. There's no two ways to look at it. So when you think, I'm in lack, I don't have, one of two ways. You either are in lack because God wants you to be in lack, and he's teaching you something through that. He's refining you through that process. Or you're in lack in your finances because your stewardship has been neglected. You have neglected your finances in some way. And there's consequences to that. Because there are two things that I know require intentionality. You can't fall into it. You can't accidentally back into worship. And you can't accidentally back into stewardship. You have to be intentional. You don't all of a sudden, you're not mowing the lawn and you're just like, oh, dang, I guess I'm worshiping. You know, it's not, <laughs> you don't all of a sudden fall into that. Go, oh, huh. I guess, that was, I guess that was pretty worshipful. It requires some level of intentionality, right? Now, you can worship by mowing the lawn, but you would have to be intentionally worshiping. Same thing with stewardship, with your own dollars. If you're not intentional with what you're doing, if you don't have direction over that, you aren't worshiping with it, and you certainly aren't stewarding those resources. And you're just hoping that the God's grace and mercy will trump your foolishness. And that's hard words to hear, I know, but... That's the truth. One of the questions that came in, which I think is really appropriate, we, we, we touched on it, but it's something that you need to, we need to spend a little more time on. So why sell possessions and not just give away? Or is it one and the same? And part of my journey recently in, in praying through this and studying this and then sitting with Ryan and, and getting his perspective that was helpful was... I don't think there's very many of you that go, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we talked about this because I've got all this money on the side that I didn't know what to do with. Ready to Are there needs out there? And so when you look in, in scriptures like Ryan said he was studying, he'd see this pattern of people selling their possessions. Well, they had to sell their possessions because that's the only way they could come up with money. But it's this, and that's another question that comes up. Nobody texted it in, but let's face it, it's almost like, some of you wanted to text in, should I buy gold? One of those questions that when you talk about money and church is how much should I give? 
And so we started in the very beginning where it talked about tithing. The word tithe means uh, tenth. And so in the Old Testament, it talks about giving a tenth. In the New Testament, it doesn't talk about tithe at all. And when it talks about tithe, the, their only system for the most part was it said to give it to the Lord. It didn't always say give it to the church. So when we're going through these, you're like, okay, so I'm supposed to give to my church? Not necessarily. Um, I know some of you are going, wait, wait, isn't that the pastor up there talking? Like, is he sure he wants to say that out loud? Like, really, you're, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say you need to give to your church? It doesn't. And it doesn't say that you need to just give 10%. There's this element where if you let go of how much should I give and instead focus on just drawing near to him and, and if you're willing to surrender to him and say, Lord, I want to be in your image. I want to live this free life you're talking about. Then when you see these needs around you, you're going to want to sell your possessions. That doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. But because you probably don't have money lying around that you don't know what to do with, you're looking at ways to meet these needs that are surrounding you. Um, I know we're circling back to Steve's and Lori's situation, but people just want to do something because something happens within them. Um, I remember being in the hospital bed, and I'm kind of in and out of it, and um, my brother-in-law came in and he goes, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know you're going to get really ticked about this. He didn't use that word. He said, but I started a GoFundMe for you. And I was kind of in and out. And I'm like, I don't even know what GoFundMe means. Um, but it was this way for people that wanted to get, because all these people wanted to, to help. And they didn't know what to do. And so, um, and then I remember I, I, time was kind of lost to me, kind of going in and out. And then I remember uh, Jeremy going, oh, my gosh, I'm so pumped. Like, we thought you were only going to get, like, 500 bucks. And this much has come in. This was, like, on day two. It was, like, $13,000 or something. And I was like, whatever. Money means nothing when you're in that position. <laughs> you're like, who cares? Which has been re really freeing for me now in my life, looking at that situation. Just going, it really doesn't matter. And it's really loosened things up. But then it just kept going and going and going. It just got bigger and bigger. Why? Because people... some. Something was happening inside of people. They wanted to express this love and concern, and they didn't know how to do it. There wasn't enough spaces on the meal train, especially since we weren't at home. And so people wanted to give, and that's, that's what's going to happen to you, whether it be with somebody's GoFundMe account or Plum, whatever Steve and Lori's thing is called. I guess there's new ones popping up. Or it's your neighbor, or it's your brother-in-law, or it's... It's the school, or it's the church, or it's El Salvador, or it's La Casa, or when you see these needs, something's going to happen inside of you. And so you don't need to make yourself do it, but you'll want to sell your possessions. And when you do that, it, you don't have to be told to. It's something that's going to happen within you. And so when we talk about this this morning, I want to make sure that you hear that, that you hear that money is revealing. And if you have any desire at any time in your life to want to care for someone through your finances or sell a possession, that should be a blessing to you to know that, you know what? There's a reflection of God's love inside of me. It's not, oh, I better give so I can get God to love me or so I can, it, it's, we all have it. We just need to be in the right place for it to come out. Um, we had another verse, another Ryanism to go through, but you're going to have to save it for next week because I want to give Ryan some time to, um, you know, any holes yeah. that you want to fill before we I close I think up. only the aspect that I would fill in is that I, I disagree semantically, Boog, with what you said about money being no. neutral. No. 
I'm no gonna, disagreeing I'm gonna, with me. I'm going to dissent a little bit. I think we give ourselves way too much credit to think that money is neutral. Um, <laughs> biblically, we find that if money is the root of all evil, it is not a safe proposition. I think we think it to be safe, but when we have the thrill of the Ben Franklin in our hands and the tinge that we get in the feeling of security that we find to be a fully funded retirement or a bank account full of cash, that is the danger of finances. Money is not neutral. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous tool, a lot like words. And so if we're cavalier with it, we give ourselves too much credit to assume that we can be responsible without it being. I love the way Tim Keller talks about it in Prodigal Gods, where essentially saying you, you wake up every morning looking in the mirror and a message that you can hear from a pastor who come out and say, I was going to give a message on greed. And it's easy to do that in America because if you look at the stats about how much we have of resources versus the global community and you hear a passage say, how dare you eat steak and have two cars when there's so much need out there. It's a really bad way to prompt and motivate others godwardly because we sit back and go, all these defense mechanisms come up. Well, it's not, it's not my fault I was born in America and that this is the, the normalcy and all that. And um, it's a really poor way to motivate folks. And if my motivation for you today is not simply that do this because you're supposed to, do this because you're rich, do this because you're greedy, it's to say have a, have a, a long talk with your spouse and, and or with the Lord and both. And when you look in the mirror, it shouldn't be, I might struggle with greed, and let's see that if I do. Let's see if I struggle with the kind of warm and fuzzy feeling I get with my dollars. The posture biblically is that this is dangerous, and you do struggle with it. I think it's, the, it's Jesus looking at you going, okay, so because you struggle with this, not if you do, not a question of should this be something that I am talking about, but saying I struggle with this, and because I do, how does the expression of my giving and deaccumulation reorient me back on the road that God's called me to? Knowing that, when I do that, it's for His glory and my good. God doesn't call us to these things, say, do this because it's just what's best for me. He's saying, do this because it's for your good and God's glory. You have to trust at some point that when you give, that you receive. Do you trust that? Do you trust that if you're, if you're honoring with your finances and give, do you trust that if you're a steward of your finances that you receive in some capacity? Do you trust that the Lord honors those promises? That's tough, I know, because you really have to hit the rubber meets the road. And you have to think, if I trust that, what should I do about it? And because I struggle with greed, because I'm a greedy jerk, and I'm speaking personally, because I'm a greedy jerk, I have to wake up every morning and go, Lord, Spirit, I need you because if I'm left to my own devices, I'm just going to hoard. And I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to hold pretty tightly to this stuff, and I want to be released from that. I, I cannot wait to, to have you hear what Ryan has to share next week. Um, where we're headed is we are going to uh, have Ryan share next week. Um, he was sharing this amazing stuff with me, and I'm like, okay, because we were just going to do it just today. And I said, hey, Ryan, instead of just doing it one day because of all that stuff you just shared, can you share that on a complete Sunday? No, 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 no. That's not how it goes. This is a classic boogie. It was like, can you help me come prepare? We're doing this as a conversation on this passage on love of money. And then it's, and then it's us talking. And he's like, so you'll just do it then, right? So, like, you'll just. <laughs> well, <laughs> some people have spiritual gifts. Yeah. <laughs> That's my spiritual gift. Yeah. It sounded like that to you because God was calling you, yeah, so it yeah. seemed like. Yeah. 
He was like, so good. So that's all good. So you'll do it? All right. Good like, to go. Yeah. <laughs> but it is powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, so however I got him to do it, or let's face it, how the Lord called him to do it, <laughs> it is so good. And I was taking notes, and I went home and talked with Steph, and I was meeting with some guys this morning, and I shared with him. I mean, this is good stuff. Um, so he's going to share that. Then on the first week of March, I'm sure you all put this on your calendar, it's the beginning of Lent. Lent is a time of preparation. And there's two times in the year that are just amazing times where they're like built into the calendar for us to prepare our hearts. And Lent is one of those. It's, it's leading us into Easter. So we are going to go through um, the book of Ephesians. And we're going through this series on the Bible for Dummies. And so we are going to go through Ephesians for Lent. And then the last three Sundays, we're just going to look at John 3.16. However, what I want to call you guys to, we talked about the importance of the Word of God. We've been talking about through this whole series. Plan on starting to read the, the, it's a letter. It's not even a book. When I call it a book, you're like, whoa, big. It's a letter. Plan on reading that letter every day during the series. You can do it. It probably takes you about 15 minutes. If you read slower, uh, 20, 25 minutes. If you don't finish the entire letter in a day, then read the second half the next day. If you miss a day, jump back in. But go through that. And our plan is, is during this time of preparation to read through that letter over and over and over again. And you'll be amazed how the word of God just starts coming out of you because you're abiding in his word. And so we're going through Ephesians and then John 3.16. But I want to close with this as we're talking about finances and, and especially with what Ryan shared with what when God commands us to do stuff, it's not because he needs us to do it as much as he's doing it because he loves us. And we get in these patterns of not trusting God and, and, or not abiding in his word so we don't even know what he's calling us to. But then we can look at what he says about finances, and we're like, ah, is it really more blessed to give than to receive? I don't know. There's a famous theo the one of my fav favorite theologians, uh, Dr. Phil, and he says this. When he sees people in, in turmoil or stress or, or, or things aren't working out, he'll go, well, how's that working for you? And so in terms of your money and your finances, how's that working for you? Which is another way to say, look, it's not really working, is it? So why don't you try something else? And so just from what we're sharing today and what's going to be shared next week is not enough. If you know there's that turmoil, then stop and rest in his word. Get into God's word and say, okay, Lord, what, what is your counsel? You created me. You know how we work. What? And as you begin to trust him more, You'll see what John 8.32 says, or 8.31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Good. Some people are memorizing the word. And the truth will set you free. See if his guidance to you on, the, on money will not set you free. Can you stand while I pray? Father God, we ask for you to draw us closer to you. Um, set us free, Lord. There's so much guilt that we have when it comes to our walk with you and our lives and um, our friendships, our money, our time. Lord, I pray that you will set people free and they would understand that just the way you spoke in that passage, don't be afraid, my little flock. Lord, that they would understand that, that you are our Father, our true Father. 
that speaks to us with love and compassion. And your counsel is not only wise, but true. Set us free. Draw us to you and your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen.